how is everybody doing? And welcome back for another Strength Chat episode. Today, I've not just got one, I've got two very special guests for you. Two powerlifting coaches, a massive amount of respect for. I learned a lot from these guys after just completing their Strength Guys internship. They've got multiple world and national titles to the name. Simply put, these guys know what they're talking about when it comes to powerlifting coaching. Today, I am joined by Jason Chamblay and Arian Kamesi. How are you both doing? Doing good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us and uh, making us sound special. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I'm trying to uh, branch out into, uh, I'm going to be like one of them ring announcers. That's going to be a bring uh, bring that in. Um, no, thanks a lot for, for taking the time to, to jump on. Um, what's been happening in, in your world since we've, since obviously uh, recently the internship has finished, but then obviously world's coming up as well and other things, you know, happening, the, happening in the powerlifting world. What's been happening with, with you two? Um, yeah, I, I think the the biggest project that we've had on the go at TSG, aside from our ongoing uh, coaching duties, um, has been the launch of Positions of Power, which is our uh, partnership with the King of the Lips podcast. Uh, through them, we've been uh, distributing our Shifting the Curve program series that we originally released on uh, my strength book back in 2017 or 2018. Uh, we've had hundreds of lifters do that program, uh, experience success on it, and uh, we're excited to, to bring it back under a, a new name, a new brand, uh, with some tweaks and revitalizations and modifications. And, uh, probably none bigger than the uh, the Atwood series. So um, we, we used to have... Uh, a 4x frequency model, meaning you train the main lifts four times per week as the most advanced program in that series. And uh, we've replaced that frequency model of training with um, a glimpse into how uh, Taylor Atwood trained to achieve his uh, 812 and 838.5 uh, kilo total performances. So um, I think we have some people who are uh, going through the meat grinder on that program. And um, it's kind of like that scene from Conan the Barbarian, where when he was a young boy, he started pushing the wheel of pain. <laughs> Everyone falled off and, and died. And, and by the end, uh, there was only Arnold, a fully grown Arnold, still standing and pushing it. And I think the program is kind of like that. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes from um Aside from that, I've, I've been working on uh, designing the athlete management system for my strength book uh, with Mike McDonald. So uh, that's been a really uh, fun and invigorating. And um, I, I've learned a lot uh, from this project already uh, in, in app design. It's both web app and mobile app. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to, to gain access to the power of an actual app instead of spreadsheets, yeah. uh, because what, what an app can do from a user experience and also from a, a querying of data experience, just so much better than what spreadsheets can do. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going to be pretty sick uh, as, as the months roll on here. It already is, but uh, I'm excited to, to see it with some of the uh, ideas that I have for the company as well. So uh, that's what's new on my end. 
I'm glad I'm glad I recorded. Uh, it was actually on uh, TV the other night, calling on the Barbarian. So I'm glad I I'm glad I record. I'm glad I recorded that now. And having been uh, been lucky enough to speak with uh, Mike McDonald, the the plans and plans that he's got for my strength book sounds awesome. You know, as a as a as a tool. Um, Arian, what's been happening in 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 your world? You know, in some ways, it's been like another down year for me. In other ways, it's been a little bit hectic due to like yeah, some uh, situations going on. But you know, for example. On my personal coaching side, I came on with the strength guys in February. So, you know, early on in the year, I made the transition over, you know, making the announcement and getting all the clients like to, that I currently have informed of what was going on and then getting on the new system as far as the, you know, the training file, the AMS that we have, and then getting new clients from the strength guys, you know, getting on the coaches meetings, the internship meetings, the position of power meetings like that. So a lot of stuff going on there. But as far as the USAPL national team side, you know, last year we had everything canceled. This year we had our nationals, but it was still like a down year for me as far as my athletes, because some people just didn't want to travel. Some people weren't qualified. And so, you know, less lifters than usual. And then of course, with the uh, arguments back and forth, the USAPL and IPF on drug testing, the IPF eventually suspended USAPL. So right now I would have been in Sweden at the world championships, but because USAPL can't send any team, then I can't go as a coach either. So missing out on, on another year of worlds uh, for me for a couple of my lifters that would have made it plus you know the national team stuff being able to coach all the athletes but you know just spending more time these days now on the uh, personal coaching stuff some of the local competitions that we're doing you know i've made it past uh, six months with jason with the strength guy so i guess i'm doing a good enough job there and they're keeping me around and stuff like that so it's fun being more part of a team when it comes to a like online coaching focus and, you know, bouncing off ideas and everything like that of ways that we can improve going forward with the position of power, with the My Strength book, getting on an app rather than doing the, you know, Microsoft Excel or Google Sheets. So it'll be interesting what we can do going forward. Oh, cool. A lot of things to, to keep you both, uh, keep you both busy then, keep you both out of trouble. Um, obviously, uh, been lucky enough to have Jason on a couple of times now on, uh, on, on Strength Chat. First appearance, uh, your debut um, on the, uh, on the podcast, Arian. Um, just want to give a little bit of a background about how uh, both of you guys ended up working together um, and sort of built up that relationship. So then obviously, you know, be, be working together with um, the strength guys for people listening who might not know, um, you know, your, your backgrounds or how you two um, got to working together. Yeah, um, I've known a variant for a long time, uh, probably in the, the early stages of, of him knowing about me, he thought I was an utter idiot. But um, luckily, as, as time has gone on, uh, I've started getting some better results from my clientele. And uh, I think, I hope people like Arian now respect me a little bit more than when I was bombing it at back-to-back Arnold's with clients. Those weren't my finest moments. Um, yeah, um, I've, I've known of Arian in the community for years. And uh, we were looking for a new coach, um, a mutual friend and another TSG coach, John Downing, just put the, put the feeler out to Arian and then uh, turned out that he was interested. And so we talked and agreed to start working together. And um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been awesome having him on the team so far. So uh, don't let that get to your head, Arian. But <laughs> you're, you're Looking forward to this next part of the story now. <laughs> No, no, I was going to mention though, for all the coaches out there listening, you know, 
Jason talks about his mistakes. I mean, we were all idiots at the beginning. We, I've made plenty of mistakes before as a lifter and a coach. I mean, I tell people about my first meets that I did. I started it in USAPL in 2011. The first two meets, I didn't have the right underwear. And so like, you know, Wayne's are telling me, oh, you can't wear that underwear on the platform. So I just went commando and no one even noticed. So, you know, <laughs> I, was, I was breaking rules at my first meet. You know, I made mistakes in, in um, you know, North American championships and world championships like early on. So I first got on the international scene around 2014 was uh, Classic Worlds in South Africa. And then, yeah, maybe heard about the strength guys and Jason, maybe 2016, 2017. That's kind of when the Classic Worlds started picking up with more athletes going and it kind of being a bigger and bigger event. So that's kind of when I started seeing them at, you know, Worlds and then all, obviously at the Arnold's Worst Festival. And, um, you know, initially I kind of just started like coaching on my own. That's like my own little, you know, business name. And I joined up with a couple of my buddies who had gyms down here in Florida and up in New York. And so I was doing the online coaching for them. And then kind of after five years with that, I was like, okay, what other opportunities out there to expand further? Because I felt like, you know, I wasn't getting the same amount of clients that I can see other coaches out there getting that I felt like I was on a similar level of. So like, okay, how can I improve and reach more people, not, not only in the US, but, you know, outside um, throughout the whole world. So I was talking to different people, talking to John Downing. He said, you know, the, the strength guys are looking to add on new coaches and having a meeting with Jason and everything like that. And, you know, it was a good fit as far as like we already knew each other a little bit before and we knew each other's coaching style and meat handling, everything like that. We kind of had the same idea. So then I was like, you know, making sure the personality fit and coming on board. And then so far, it's been a good fit. Oh, cool. It's a sorry, Jason, were you going to say something? No, no. Oh, I was, I was just going to say, you know, it's it's interesting, especially um, being lucky enough to do the internship and see how the, you both mentioned there about mistakes that you've you've made in the past, whereas actually, you know, beyond that, you know, from a, an outsider looking in, if you like, and someone who follows everything that you that you put out there and the progression that you've seen, you've definitely learned from, from, from those mistakes for the, for the success that you've had. And seeing the, one thing that I'll probably keep mentioning throughout uh, throughout this chat is the level of professionalism, you know, compared to, um, you know, how you would look at maybe uh, some regional um, uh, coaches who are, ha who are handling compared to you see the amount of time and effort um, and, and data and information that you use to to get your athletes to, to where they where they need to be obviously culminating with with worlds on at the minute. So that kind of goes sort of into my into my first question is when you're working with the athletes and when they've qualified for nationals or worlds or whatever competition it is, where do kind of your thoughts go from uh, from a coach's point of view, or are your thoughts already planning out, you know, um, the the next competitions or the period of time that they're going to be with you from that very first um, maybe initial consultation with with the athlete. Um. Yeah, for for me, when an athlete qualifies for worlds, um, it's it's a it's a fine line to walk because you don't want to let what other competitors are doing influence your process until it's like final deadlift time, roughly speaking, right? Like maybe you have a, a really good squatter and you got to push squat a little bit farther or whatever, but. In general, the competition does not matter uh, until it's until it matters on on game day. Um, but my first step is to look at uh, who the competition is and to kind of get a, a lay of the land of um, where my competitor is relative to them 
at the point in time that we're starting prep. Um, and that could be, that's an insightful exercise for like what you may have to, the range that you may have to total within, right? Which uh, is insightful for how aggressive uh, the prep, the peak may have to be uh, for, for the lifter. So uh, that's the first thing I do. The, the second thing I do is um, get down to business with the training. Um, I, I like to have at minimum 12 weeks to prepare someone for worlds, but like ideally I thought before the whole um, USAPL and IPF argument, I, I thought the timing of, of USAPL nationals relative to worlds was perfect. Because uh, you had like almost 40 weeks until world championships, it felt like some, something around that, that time range. So you really have a lot of time after qualifying for worlds to like just train, 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 get better. And then you could actually like show your best package at worlds. Um, it was a, a little bit of a rough turnaround from worlds to nationals because you'd only have 12 weeks, but you know, it, it was still, I, I liked having more time to, to get ready for worlds. Cause that's the, that's the big one in my opinion. And, um, nationals is insanely, insanely competitive, hard to win. Uh, but for me, um, competing towards the world championship is, is where it's at. So, I mean, nationals is, is really cool. It's special, but it's, it's still qualifying to get to the big stage. Right. And kind of how I look at it. So, um, yeah, just get the competitor ready, keep them focused on their own training, uphold the standards of the, the rule book in training, uh, meaning that, you know, all squats are to depth, uh, all deadlifts are locked out, all benches are paused, um, do that to the best of your abilities. Um, when it comes time for the championship, there's a lot of uh, other things that you have to coordinate with national team coaches, which Arian can speak to uh, being on that side as the, the USA Open national team coach. Um, but I, I also like to do, um, in addition to my competitors meet strategy, which I do before the scouting. Uh, I Here's what we're gonna do independent of what everyone else is gonna do. Uh, and then I'll go through and I'll, I'll scout their competition, uh, print out scouting reports or, or send them to the national team coach. Just make sure that we're um, organized and uh, ready to rock. Um, if it's a, if it's like a first time competitor traveling long way or, you know, a crazy year like COVID, uh, there's also some, it's kind of like a, uh, a road game in professional sports, right? Like you've, you've really got to be on the ball with your traveling uh, and having food, transportation, water, shelter, you know, like all these basic human needs, but um, you can't just wing it with traveling. Um, and I've had the good fortune of, of traveling with professional sports team, Calgary Flames, and certainly like when you're on the road, man, it's, it's comfortable. Like, you know, when you're going to get your next meal, you know, when your transportation is, you know, where you're staying, you don't have to do anything, but focus on the game. And I, I think treating IPF worlds like that is a really good idea too. Uh, Cause if you're organized ahead of time, it's just, 
less stress on top of already a really stressful experience, right? Like right now, the competitors are in Sweden, may not have ever been to this country before, um, you know, not there in the, the normal time of day that they lift. Uh, all the foods are, are labeled differently. They're labeled in Swedish, not in English or French or Italian or whatever you're used to. Um, it's just a different world. So uh, minimize uh, distracting variables and um, show up ready. And I think on competition day, uh, the best way to compete is to, to make lifts and, um, you know, just let the game day coach do what the game day coach does. Um, I think everyone tries to bring some extra heat to the world championship and usually that's a failure you know so um just showing up and making lifts you can beat people that you uh may never have thought possible so those are kind of like a random like compilation of my thoughts leading up to a world championship i i agree with jason's random thoughts i mean starting from the beginning you know um I always been like the type that wants to like look into the data and analyze. Okay. You know, even going to the first world I went to 24, a uh, 2014 with a couple of my uh, buddies from my university is like, we're looking up, like, who are these people? Cause we had never seen them before. We had never gone to international meet. Like, let's see what kind of numbers they are hitting. What kind of meets can we find on there? Like that. So always been trying to research what lifters have done in previous competitions, what they're doing in training, everything like that. But you don't want to get too extreme one way or another, which is kind of what Jay's saying It's like, you don't want to assume that, you know, all these people are going to progress, they're going to hit monster totals, like their training is looking so great. And now I need to be super aggressive with my attempts to match them. And it may not work out for any of you and everyone underperforms. And on the flip side, there's some people that say like, you know, the competition doesn't even matter, just go do your own thing. And, you know, sometimes that's not true either, because, you know, you could have maybe won more easily, or maybe if you had gone a little bit more on like, you know, a squat or bench press, it would have prepared you better for when it comes to deadlift, depending on, especially when, which lift is your best lift. So I kind of like Jason's approach as well. Like first build a game plan on just you in a vacuum. What are you capable of, including all those factors of traveling, weight cut, all that kind of stuff. And then from there, look at the lifters, look at what they've been hitting in training, what they've hit in competition, how many attempts do they normally make. And maybe from there, you have to say, okay, you know, if these lifters are wrong, we might have to take our top end third attempts. If these lifters typically underperform and miss like, you know, all their thirds, maybe we can go a little more conservative with our middle or bottom end third attempts. And we can kind of like, you know, make attempts and cruise to a, a podium placing or the world title. So I, I like that approach. And with traveling, yeah, a lot of people don't understand. It's one thing like, you know, you drive, you know, one hour, 30 minutes down the street, go to a competition or even like training in the gym and you're on your own time and everything. You have like, you know, four five, six hour a day. And then you compare that to the world championships where some of these lifters are traveling internationally for the first time ever. Some people don't like going on planes. They're scared. You got to deal with, you know, COVID restrictions, getting tested. You go to another country. You don't know what the food's like, what the, uh, the water's like. I've seen some people like, you know, go to a, a European uh, country and like they're drinking like water with electrolytes in it. They don't even know. Um, and, you know, or like, you know, they're getting something that has like salt in it and they don't even know because it's hard to read the labels and what's going on. Same thing with the water cutting. A lot of times lifters like assume they're going to have a bathtub in their hotel room because like maybe in the U.S. and Canada, they always have bathtubs. They go there and it's a standing shower. We had, we had a lifter that tried to like clog 
the standing shower uh, so he can like fill it up a little bit with water and he like closed the door and had it on super hot and like tried to put another towel underneath the door so now that he can get us like like create his own little steam room and he like flooded the bathroom and everything like that so all these crazy stories all the time of people thinking like you know they're gonna have access to the same resources in another country that they do in their own country so lots of factors like that that they have to deal with Um, and then the timing too if people have been noticing in the past few years the sessions have been getting shorter and shorter. So, you know, sometimes like I think the 66 kilos in 2019, uh, when we had Charles Agapoco for us uh, competing, that was like two hours or two and a half hours and they were done. Um, right now, there's some sessions I've seen on the schedule where there may be, you know, 20 to 26 lifters, like in the 83s or in the 93s. And instead of having 26 lifters on one platform, two flights, what they did is they split it into two platforms and have like, you know, 11 and 14 or like 12 and 12. And so now you're down to one flight to try and get those sessions to three hours or less. So some things that people aren't aren't prepared for aren't used to. And obviously the the referees like, you know, in your country, all the referees may take one certain referee course, may have to do a certain number of years to go through certain levels and have a certain culture of how they're taught how to referee. But that's not necessarily true from country to country. When you have 135 countries in, in the IPF and maybe 30, 40 show up to the world championship and you have referees from all these different countries, they may call depth differently. They may sit in the chair differently for different lifts. They may cause that uh, call the press command differently and the bench press. And so some of these lifters are not prepared for that and, you know, assume that they're going to be held to the same standards. You've mentioned quite a lot of, um, a lot of things to, to, to be covered there. Um, you know, other things that, you know, something is traveling, you just think, Oh yeah, I'm going to go, going to go to a, a competition. Whereas you've got to take into all these other things, uh, which are going to be stresses on there. Like you mentioned about hotels and, you know, the first thing that you that you both mentioned was right having a plan of right. Okay, what what can we do? And then looking at these looking at these other areas. I know at the start, obviously mentioning about you know learn from uh, mistakes and, and and progressing through now. But from you know the the systems and the plans that you that you both having having place now, which has you know ultimately allowed your athletes to have success. What have been your biggest learning curves as as coaches trying to cover all those bases and kind of. You know, I always like to ask, how have you as coaches, who have been your influences and who have you learned from to think, all oh, right, OK, so I'm going to pick a little bit from here, pick a little bit from that to then develop an all round system, which is going to be right. OK, this is what's going to separate us from, you know, other 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 coaches, you know, to then take it to that next level. Like I said before, that that next level of professionalism. Um. For me, I, I think the biggest learning curve was uh, being able to program outside of outside of myself. You know, like to to write the really the the learning experience was to write tailor the training that he needed to go from uh, totaling seven thirty and placing second to Kel Backland to totaling 790 and, and placing first over Kiel, right? Like that was the learning curve because if you look at the programs before and after, the one after looks psychotic. But if you work up to that, it's it's doable, right? It's, it's all about uh, building your work capacity so that you can uh, perform and, and recover from that training and and benefit from it. So it's a, it's a systematic approach to training uh, was the biggest learning curve. And 
Um, for me, uh, Ben Escrow was my, my main mentor with that systematic approach. Uh, ben Escrow and I coached Taylor together for um, just under two years, I think, um, before he retired from coaching. And then also uh, Matt Gary has been a, a big influence for me uh, with the systematic approach to I I know Matt's very systematic. I, I would actually say a very professional approach to coaching. Like uh, Matt also has experience in, in professional sports. I believe he's uh, an intern with the Washington football team. Uh, and in general, um, I think Matt and I, I mean, I, I know Arian has it as well, but same passion for doing the best possible work that we can on uh in powerlifting like we all love the sport and uh, we want to help elevate it and do our best and uh, we're all competitive individuals who want to win too right so um the the game day planning like even the simple thing of, of having your numbers printed out like you'd be amazed how many people don't do that you know or or having the, the freaking records on your sheet right so you know what the record is and, and when that may matter uh, knowing when you have a, a lot disadvantage or advantage or a body weight advantage or disadvantage, like stuff like this, like um, some people are, are out to lunch about it. And uh, whenever I see Matt at a meet, he's always consistent on the ball, attentive, whether it's day one or, or day five, and he's been coaching 12 hour days every day, you know, like he's, he's the same. And I, I really have a world of respect for that. Um, so yeah, for me, I, I think it's, it's being systematic and being professional, uh, were the things that got me over the hump, um, because, you know, um, when Taylor lost to Kiel in, in, in Belarus, I saw like 757 and a half as like this unbeatable number, 74, you know, it's holy, never seen that before, you know? And um, I think you've, you've got to have a system. Like when I was writing his meat strategy uh, with Matt to total like 838, I mean, you're looking at these numbers on paper and you're like, this can't possibly be it. You know, like this is like, nobody has come close to this before, right? Like in, in terms of like history of the sport, you need uh, a system of objective analysis to overcome those emotional doubts and, and fears. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm very thankful to Ben and to Matt uh, who've helped me uh, get to that point. And other positive influences, Eric Helms, Mike Sordos, Greg Knuckles, um, Eric Trexler from Mass. I, I read their service um, multiple times every week, you know, go through old articles or the new editions. And, uh, just stay up to date on, on what's happening in the community. Um, my friends at uh, Data Driven Strength are, are good resources as well. Uh, talk to those guys once a month or twice a month. Um, but I, I think they're coming out with a lot of good content and just people who are propelling the sport forward. It's all born out of passion. And uh, I think we all speak that same language and kind of attract one another and, and grow together. So um, another person I, I really respect and have learned a lot from is, is Mike T. I, I think Mike uh, 
to the explorative side. So coaching is never going to be like a research study because uh, there's always going to be an element of exploration and finding out what's working with the athlete. And I think Mike T has been very innovative uh, with that, uh, the exploration side of coaching for years. So yeah, um, that's my spiel on, on who's helped me and, and what has helped me. Oh, cool. Uh, similar stuff for me, for example, when it comes to uh, temp selection and game day coaching, a lot of my base information came from Matt Gary because we have a USAPL coaching course and all three levels that I took happened to be when, when Matt Gary was the, the teacher. So, you know, I learned all my stuff from him initially. And then oftentimes when I was at the classic world championships, he was one of the personal or assistant coaches there. So, you know, learn from him while I was there as well. So a lot of the stuff I learned from him as far as like his more systematic approach to attempts and what kind of jumps to make everything like that. And then from there, it's like some of additional stuff that I learned from him or other people, like, you know, just knowing how to know the rules, like, like Jason said, knowing lot number, knowing how to chip records, knowing how, like, you know, if there's a relift or how to go to the jury and get an attempt overturns or like that, like knowing the rule book in and out to use that to your advantage as a coach rather than, okay, I'm just going to pick attempts based on what my lifter could be potentially uh, their max that day. Um, and then the other things like I've seen Matt and some other coaches do is like just being prepared in the warm-up room, like coming, getting a rack, making sure all your equipment's there. Oftentimes, or pretty much every time at a national world championship, Matt also has the plastic clips there. So you don't always have to use the two and a half kilo collars in case they disappear or if it's easier to load without it, like you're prepared with, you know, additional stuff like that clips, knowing how to, you know, load kilogram plates. A lot of coaches out there still don't know and they, you know, misload. I've seen like lifters load up their opener or more in the warm-up room at a local meet because they just thought like, you know, the red 25 kilo plates were 45 pound plates. Um, just even knowing how to use a, you know, a, a rack and how to adjust the uprights and, you know, helping other people with spotting and stuff like that for warmth, all those things that, as Jason said, like the professionalism, knowing the rules and knowing the base level. And then from there, yeah, learning from other people, what, what things can I do to improve my style um, over what I've learned from everyone else? And same thing for going back to attempt selection, I really quickly pulled up some stats that a lifter, I believe from Switzerland, uh, Laura did taking like 200,000 data points from open IPF. I'll just go over the third attempts on squat, 34% of people missed their third on bench, 53% of people missed their third and on deadlift, 36% of people missed their third. And I believe some of these percentages I think would be higher in recent times because as the totals are going up, as people are getting more in the sport, as there's more depth, that people are going to be more aggressive, more aggressive in the programming leading into a national world championship and more aggressive with their temp selection out there, assuming everyone's going to perform their best. And so they have to keep up with that. So you may see more and more missed attempts. So when it comes to my programming and my attempt selection, I may say, okay, you know, 50% of people are going to miss their bench press. I'll be conservative. I'll make my third. You all can have fun missing your third. And then I'll be in a better position going at the deadlift. And so we may see some kind of eventually like, you know, kind of a, a rebound back where, you know, everyone goes really aggressive on programming. You get a lot of people injured going into world championships, a lot of people underperforming at world championships and maybe people start pulling back a little bit. Um, so that's what I tend to do sometimes with my programming too. A lot of my base programming, I learned from Dr. Michael Zoros because he was getting his PhD at Florida State University when I was getting my bachelor's there. So I learned a lot about from him, got into powerlifting from him. And then from there, learning from other people similar to Jason, like whether it's learning from Mike Tashir, 
whether it's learning from Bryce Lewis or even learning from Jason on our, our internship calls and everything like that, learning some people's different styles and mentalities and why they're choosing certain things that are coming into training that I can then implement into my own. Yeah. I must admit from, from being on the, the internship calls, especially, you know, I enjoyed doing the, the scouting reports and then especially the, the, the stats wise, it is one of those things where once you get into it, I wanted to do it all the time. It was like, all oh, right. So percentage wise, this is what we want to be doing for, for, for thirds. And, you know, we've mentioned there about the, about the programming side of things, but that's ultimately the tool that the, the athlete's going to use and we, we can track that, use it. And that's where they get the want to be. But I think we've obviously gravitated towards the, the coaching side of things behind the scenes. We've got the program. That's the tool, but in terms of your, your job, while the, while the athletes training, we, we're tracking all those sort of things. What sort of the, the, the job in terms of the scouting, looking at the, uh, the other competition in terms of, right, okay, so like what you've mentioned about the stats there, 30% of people aren't going to make their, make their third, third attempts. Um, you know, these are things that you, need, that you need to work on, being prepared. How much sort of work and time and, you know, what's the, what's the behind the scenes, if you like, to make sure that, right, okay, this is, this, this is, every, this is everything that we need and you've got all the tools there, so that if plan A isn't working, okay, we need to go to plan B or, or, or we need to adjust it around. Because, you know, like what you mentioned there, Aaron, of, um, all right, well, I'm going to get my athlete to do this, this, and this. And yeah, that'll be pretty good. Let's do that. Let's do that on the day. Rather than being, right, okay, this is plan A. We've got some options depending on, on, on how it goes. This is what the rest of the, uh, the flight is looking like. And this is this this is this is how we're going to work from it. What sort of your your thoughts and processes behind that? Um, yeah, for for me, when I write a meet strategy now, I'm I'm very reliant upon uh, whoever the game day coach is um, to to make the right call. Um, so openers is set in stone. Uh, openers well practiced in training. I have very little doubts about that unless something is egregiously wrong on the day. Uh, second attempt is a range. Um, whether that's a one or a two percent range, uh, it depends, but it's a range. And third attempt could be a three to four percent range uh, between plan A and plan C and it's all about, uh, it doesn't matter what you did in training on competition day. It matters how the previous lift went uh, and, and to some extent how the competitive uh, scenarios are, are unfolding uh, in, in, you know, national and world level meets sometimes, right? Um, so, yeah, it's, I, I think a lot of people shoot themselves in the foot by, like, testing the 1RM and then working backwards to come up with a meet strategy, whereas um, I, I like to set the opener and then work forwards. So we'll practice the opener, determine that, and then practice the second attempt, determine that, and uh, oftentimes don't even practice the third attempt in training, right? You just you save that wear and tear on the lifter and, like, maybe they've done like 10 to 15 reps combined with their opener and second attempt on each lift by meet day. Like I'll, I'll live with that amount of practice. And then like, really the only decision you have to make is what can they do without shooting themselves in the foot by missing on their third attempt. And that's my preferred scenario to be in. Um, as far as scouting, we've, I mean, I've, 
as, as a result of all the work I've done in, in sports science, uh, I've gotten a lot more efficient at building uh, athlete management systems and sports science hubs. And it used to take a long time to look people up because it was all manual. But now, like, I did a scouting report for my client who competed in the 93 juniors and took me five minutes, just copy, paste, boom, boom, boom. And and uh, we have all your data because of open IPF, which is such an amazing resource and open powerlifting, right? So um, it used to take a lot of time. Now it's pretty quick. Um, common trend I, I've learned from doing this these scouting exercises is uh, how much people overperform in training and, and underperform on meet day. And I, I think part of that is... Um, it's personality based, uh, standards based. It's um, training, training off of RPE, especially like that top set model where you gotta. That's your way of of influencing progress. Is you gotta lift more weight next week, uh, even when now there's a an intersection between how much weight you're gonna attempt to lift and like your squat depth is now like an inch or two higher than it was the previous week. You know. So, and I, I know you guys uh, saw similar when we were doing this, the scouting reports, right? Like you see these outlandish numbers, kind of these RPE ratings where you watch your video and they'll be like, ah, that was an RPE eight. But in reality, it was probably like an RPE nine and a half. Like maybe you could have done like five kilos more, but you definitely didn't have two more reps in you, you know? Um, and then you just see all of this, these, these crazy expectations, these uh, outlandish training numbers. Uh, you just see it on competition day. People show up and start missing lifts and, you know, didn't really factor in the amount of weight they cut being in a foreign country, um, all these different variables. And um, yeah, so for me, it's, it's very focused on uh, our process and the scouting is just good to have, right? Like if you're in a battle for a record or uh, maybe you're, you're in a close battle for the win later on in the meet, uh, you can run some math ahead of time to try to forecast what your, what your competitor uh, may be trying to do, where they may be trying to go. And uh, you can let that somewhat influence your attempt selections if it's there otherwise you know don't bother just take what you can take yeah i mean again agree with a lot of stuff jason says as far as uh building out a game plan some things i'll add on is like if it's a local level meet and i'm not going to be there for them and they kind of have to pick based on my plan on their own oftentimes i'll be more conservative so a lot of my athletes complain like oh you know why you give me such low numbers i can do more and more i'm like well I'm not there in the moment to see how things are going to adjust accordingly up or down. Like Jason says, at that point, when you hit your opener, it doesn't really matter what you did your last meet or what you did in training. It's what's the speed of that opener and where do you want to go from there? So oftentimes I'll be more conservative, but I'll tell my athletes, you know, you're an adult, you know, you, you paid money to enter this meet. You did all the training, like you, whether you're happy or disappointed from this competition is based on what your goals are in mind. So if you want to adjust the plan, you can go ahead and adjust the plan, but this is what I recommend based on your previous meets, your past training, and like, you know, me not being there. And then they can, you know, do whatever they want with that. And when it gets to higher level meets like nationals, Arnold world, especially if I'm going to be there, well, if you want me to be there to handle you, 
and I'm not even charging you for my time in that session. Cause oftentimes like, you know, if I'm going to be at nationals, I'll just handle my lifters. They just pay for the uh, coach's fee for me to be in the back room. Well, then you need to put some trust into me to adjust things up or down again, based on how the opener is going based on, you know, how the judges are calling things, how long the pauses are for bench press, what are your competitors doing, everything like that. And, you know, I don't fault the lifters as much for like thinking like, you know, they're going to put up some big numbers. Like they got to have confidence in themselves. They have to believe in themselves that they're capable of big numbers. It's on the coach to then make the right call, whether it's in training. Like I tell the lifter, like, Hey, you thought the RP was this, this, and this for this week. But I thought the RP from the outside looking in was this, this, and this for the, each of the singles or back off sets, whatever we're doing. And same thing in a meet, they might think like, Oh, you know, I got, you know, 300 kilos. in me. And I'm like, well, based on how I thought the 285 looked, we should go at 290 or 292 or something like that and so it's on the coach to you know be the unbiased person and you know make the right call or like tell the lifter what they need to hear whereas the lifter can be unbiased and you know have confidence in themselves so that's what i try and do at the higher level meets as far as a national team coach for worlds as well i like to in the last four to six weeks before worlds each week send out a form to all the lifters on the team and say fill out the form with like, you know, what your body weight was, what your heaviest training was for the week, put a video in or RPE or percentage, whatever like that. And so I can keep track of all the lifters, heavy training going into worlds and their body weight. And if they put the videos, I can look and see, was it to depth? Was it pause? That kind of stuff. And then when they send me their game plan, I can then go look at their game plan, go look at the recent training and their meet results and see whether it falls in line. Or if I need to go and tell them, hey, you know, based on your previous meet results and your training, I think you're being too aggressive when you need to make these adjustments and it helps again with open IPF and just our USAPL database to also be able to go and say, Hey, listen, you know, you missed 67% of your bench presses. I think you're being too aggressive with your bench press. Clearly your previous strategy isn't working. We need to adjust down. Like I had a lifter that's going to be starting with me soon and every single meet he's done, he's missed a third attempt bench. He's never hit a third attempt bench in me. And the good thing is he acknowledges that. So on the call, we discussed that and said like, Whatever you're doing is clearly not working, whether it's the programming or improper attempts, thinking you have more than you, but we need to make that adjustment. So oftentimes with the national team where I'm not personally coaching that lifter, it's collecting all the information and using the data and the statistics on them and their competitors to say, hey, look, from the outside looking in, this is what I think is happening. This is what I think you're doing right. This is what I think you're doing wrong. And these are adjustments we need to make. Yeah, kind of two things as, as, as you were both, as both speaking there. One might be a massive tangent that we might go on, but it just came to my mind when uh, when you were both speaking. And then the and then the second one, I'll say that I'll say the first I'll, I'll say the first one that, that came to mind. Obviously, when you were speaking there about scouting and seeing people that sometimes people you know uh, overachieve in training and underperform in uh, on competition. Do you think? And when you were speaking about you know personalities, do you think that's sometimes down to the um, to the lifter or do you think sometimes that's down to the coaches in terms of the standards that they set in terms of look no this is this is the standard that we need to hit we're getting close to the competition we can't be having you know openers high or no pauses or, or anything like that um, so that's the tangent um, the second one 
was in terms of, you know, if your distance, like athletes being over in, in Sweden for, uh, for Worlds this year, um, working with national coaches, working with other people that are going to be handling them on, on, on the day and how sort of your approach is in terms of communicating with them and, you know, making sure that, that like I say, all those, all those bases are covered, but you're still there as the coach of, no, this is what we've been working on. This is what I need to be implementing. So there's kind of the two questions that came that came out after that. Tackle whichever one you want first. <laughs> yeah, I, I think when it comes to collaborating with uh, another coach who's handling your client, it, it helps to have handled a client who is not yours in the past because there's a lot of, of questions that I remember having about that person. Uh, that I wasn't able to answer because, you know, I, I wasn't involved in the training leading into this competition. Uh, and so I, I use those questions as my guide for what information to provide uh, to the to the coach. So like for the for the French team coach, I I sent her um, an information sheet with the, the scouting report for his class. And I, I said, here are all the things that, um, here's how training went, uh, like kind of a written summary of the prep, not a life story, you know, like just try to keep it to like the important events and generally like the trend of each lift. Um, and, and here's what you need to watch out for. Um, and then if you have any questions, I'm, I'm available to discuss. And that's what I try to do. Um, I've never worked with a federation where the national team coach wasn't collaborative. Um, so I, I've been very lucky in that regard. Um, so yeah. And uh, what was your, what was your first question again? I'll, I'll get to that also. The, uh, the, the first question was uh, when we were talking about the, um, the standards of lifting and scouting and people overperforming in training, underperforming on competition, is that down to the lifters personality or is that down to the the coaches not setting the standards um and potentially not having you know uh, not dialing that in um a, a little bit more with, with their coaching i i think it's a pretty individual scenario but um i would say it's the the process as a whole right like i think an experienced coach can watch a lift and uh, given that that lift is like at body weight and on or near body weight and on competition equipment, an experienced coach, even as an outsider, could determine relatively, you know, if that looked like an appropriate opener or second attempt, or if that looked like more like a third attempt. And um, so, I, I think when you're when you're scouting people, uh, you can just try to like uh, tune in to these people they're lifting because everyone posts everything on Instagram now. Right. So like you got like the, the whole life story on there and, and just go through it and like put the piece, put the pieces of the puzzle together about um, how that lifter is doing and, and uh, you know, do they, are they a chronic underperformer? Or do they usually perform better in meets than they do in training, which is obviously a best case scenario. Uh, or is, is what they do in training, what they do on the platform. And, um, you know, it, it helps to look through open IPF or open powerlifting and kind of see those trends as Arian mentioned, and, and then just watch their lifting and get an idea of where they're at. But yeah, I, I think it's a pretty individual thing. 
As far as the uh, first topic, yeah, I kind of agree with Jason that it could be individual from lifter lifter. Like some people will hold themselves to the standard. Some people will, you know, cut their depth or, you know, jump their press command a little bit as things get heavier. Some people will be more on top of their nutrition where some people may not. Um, at that point, though, I guess it depends on the coach and how confident they feel in themselves that they need to then, you know, go and adjust based on the individual lifter underneath them. If someone's on top of things, then, you know, they don't have to put as much time and effort into, you know, making sure they're on top of things. But for a lifter that, you know, is cutting their depth so they can do more and more or like, you know, is staying higher in their body weight as it's getting closer and closer to competition, then you need to have that conversation say, hey, listen, you need to, you know, make your lifts to standard or else it's not going to transfer well to the competition. Or you need to say, you need to be at this body weight at this time and for in, in order for us to do an effective water cut. If you come in too heavy, then it's going to be too hard of a cut and you're going to, you know, be depleted or maybe even miss weight, those kind of things. So it comes to the coach of like, you know, being aware of what's going on and then coming in and make an inter intervention when it is appropriate. Um, the other thing I was going to mention too, that for some lifters, I mean, there are plenty of lifters that will overperform in training and then underperform in a competition. But for some of them, I want to mention that it is intentional. Part of the reason of walking around above your weight class is obviously to have more muscle mass and try and move more weight. And then you cut weight and you may lose some. Let's say, you know, you do 100 kilos in training and then you hit 97 and a half in competition when you cut down to your weight class. But if you're walking around at weight inside your weight class, you may only do 95. So it's still beneficial for you to walk around heavy, do that cut, lose a little bit, but you know, you're still above if you're walking around that way. So for some people, that little bit of drop is intentional um, and beneficial compared to just walking around away. But yeah, there are some people that, you know, expect that they're going to hit more than the weight they hit in training when they have all the time in training and they have like maybe, you know, pound plates and, you know, they're, you know, three to 5% overweight. And then they don't realize that when it comes to competition, th things change. And as far as the um, second topic, yeah, I haven't had too many or really no issues collaborating with uh, other countries. I haven't had too many lifters in other countries. You know, Canada, obviously, I've had a few lifters and they've been pretty uh, welcoming, especially like 2019 Bench Worlds. They nominated me as a coach on their team. So I was able to go and coach my, my athlete for Team Canada. And, you know, they trusted me. Maybe if it was like some... What's you're that? On the, you're on the good team final year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I got my badge. I can put it on and switch over to Team Canada permanently. But, you know, maybe it's because they trusted me. Maybe it was like, you know, a first time personal coach. They may be a little bit more weary. Like, hey, what's your game plan? Like, hey, do you know you have to wear the appropriate clothing? Like, hey, you can't just go run off to a jury unless you communicate with us first. Whereas me, like, you know, I had, I've been a national team coach and I'm an international referee. So, okay, and, you know, Aaron knows what he's doing. Because sometimes for us, as far as the U.S. coaches, like I would first did three years with the sub-juniors and juniors before I moved to the Open. And sometimes with those sub-junior and juniors, those are the biggest problems because it's like younger lifters who think like, you know, they're they're the best. They think like, you know, they're going to progress a bunch and, you know, they're going to win easily. You have people that haven't been around that long. It could be their first time traveling internationally and the first time going to World Championship. And sometimes they're coached by their parents. And like parents in any sport, like, you know, think their child is the best ever. Like, you know, they're, they're the next Michael Jordan or whatever like that. So sometimes they're very biased and think like whatever weight you put on the bar for their kid, their kid's going to get it. And it's like, nah, like, you know, based on the time we saw, that's not going to happen. Or they're not close to like, you know, getting on the podium. We just want to like, you know, make attempts and have, have them have a successful meet and, you know, be happy to be there and make lifts like that. So sometimes the more headbutting is with the sub juniors and juniors. Um, but when you get to, you know, open and then masters they tend to be you know a little bit more um 
conservative and more agreeable, whether it is the lifter, but also dealing with the uh, coaches, they're more understandable. Okay. You know, the lifter knows what they're doing. It's not their first time there. And if it's a coach like me who's been there before and knows what they're doing, it's not an issue. Um, For some countries, I guess, you know, some coaches would have to watch out for is they may have specific rules or strategies based on their federation and how they pick attempts. For example, for some of them, they may get funding based on team points or medals. And in a world championship, you don't only get a medal for the total, you get medals for each individual lift. So you can get like, you know, last place in the squat, last place in the bench press and get like, you know, a bronze medal on the deadlift and get last place overall. But that bronze medal on the deadlift, they can take back to their country and maybe the lifter or the federation is going to get funding based on that. So sometimes there are some countries that will go more conservative, like guarantee a deadlift medal and place lower in the total. So in that case, as a coach, you may have to understand that and you may have to make the adjustment and say like, hey, you're not going to be able to go with the attempt that you want and place as high as you want for your individual lifter because they're focused on the entire team aspect and their federation. Yeah, that's an in, that's an interesting point. That I suppose as well when we're talking on the on the world stage that there's going to be other things. You know, it's not just you know, rightly or wrongly. Again, that might be another tangent that, that goes on there. But you know, it being dictated by no, this is this is the plan. You know, this is going to help help us get to get to where we want to be or help with funding or, or anything like that. A couple of thing, a couple of things that you that you both mentioned there. And it kind of goes back to the first topic that we were, we were mentioning about, about, you know, from um, sub-juniors to juniors to open, they're learning and having experience uh, uh, and gaining experience as well as they're developing through their powerlifting, uh, you know, journey, if you like. And if, you know, they're going in and it's their first worlds and they're saying, yeah, we're going to we're gonna hit this, whereas someone who's a little bit more experienced, um, like Taylor, for example, who, you know, has, has been there, how important is that? Um, building trust and developing that relationship with the coach because I know obviously we'll have um, some people might be having you might not be there as their coach handling them but then how does that then impact on for further competitions and further worlds if that kind of makes sense if you you kind of know what I'm saying (laughs) well I I certainly I wish uh, more of my clients were like Taylor (laughs) Uh, people people like to in conversation with me uh ask how taylor does things and i was like well you know there's there's only one taylor <laughs> best lifter in history um you know like i i wish i had more of them but i i think it's it's probably very likely that throughout the remainder of my career uh, i'll never work with someone more talented than taylor he may be generational you know like it may be 10, 20, 30 years before we see another. So it's like, it's hard because Taylor and I are like this, right? You know, like we've known each other since 2014. Um, we've gone through a lot of experiences together. Uh, I know his family. He knows my family. Um, I know his wife, you know, like we're, we're more than just like coach and athlete, you know, like we're really good friends and um been through a lot together so you know it's it's close and and so we were able to have uh, very constructive conversations about his training uh that with other clients where it's coach and athlete you don't have those bonds 
kind of a different conversation, you know, like Taylor and I will sometimes go at each other too in, in, in conversation, you know, to, but, but we know, we know it's, it's for the, it's for the better good. It's for the better outcome. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think when communicating with a client before the meet, uh, I like to lay their game plan out to them. Um, this, this is what I, this is what I recommend. And a lot of the time I'm, I'm not open to, to feedback on that at all. I'm like, here's the plan. <laughs> You're going to do it, you know? Um, Cause I, I, I do think these, you know, people with, with less experience go out there and miss a bunch of lifts and you do enough scouting of it, you watch enough powerlifting, coach enough powerlifting. It's, it's, it's a story that's as old as time, right? And in, in powerlifting, people just underperforming. And uh, I, I think it's, it's pretty clear to me that the way you win powerlifting meets is by making your attempts. And uh, I think sometimes you just have to watch out for the person and, and just say it. Um, but like a, a difference is with uh, some clients with Taylor, for example, like I, I will listen to them, you know, and, and say like, Hey, like I'll, I'll give you the benefit of a doubt if you think I'm off because the other side of it is that no matter how accomplished a coach is, they can always be wrong. Uh, Cause everyone is human, you know? And um, I, I do think you have to listen to people also. So it's a, it's a tough balance to toe, but um that's some insight into how Taylor and I function and uh, how I try to function with other clients as well. Yeah. A similar thing, especially um, on the national team side, like for the sub juniors and juniors, you may see them again in that age division or in the future, once they age up into the next division. So you may have like, you know, some lifters right now, world championships, they missed out on their last year, sub juniors last year. This is their first year as juniors. And they may not be winning. They might be third, fourth, fifth place. But those coaches know they're going to see them possibly for the next three, four years. And so it's good to develop that relationship that first time, especially when maybe there's not as much pressure. Like, you know, they know they're not going to podium. They're just going to make their attempts. But you get the relationship. You see what their training is like. You see what their game plan is like. You get to see them in competition. Like, how do they feel? Everything like that. And when you come back the next year, you kind of know them. They know you. And you can have more of a collaborative relationship going forward. And if they end up being like someone who long-term stays in the sport, like someone like Ray Stim from Canada has gone from sub juniors to juniors to open that like, you know, whether whatever coach she works with, they've probably worked with her before. They know her style. They know how many attempts she makes. They know she knows the rules and everything like that. And it's more uh, beneficial going forward. So it's definitely good to build that relationship. And from the personal coaching side, you know, same thing. Some, some lifters may come and go. They might do like, you know, one competition with you and they disappear and like, you know, the, the amount of time you develop with the programming and, and the game plan or anything like that kind of goes to waste. But some lifters do stay, you know, three, four, <coughs> excuse me, three, four, five, six years. And so it's good to develop that relationship where you know each other. And if like an athlete has to make an adjustment in the training within a week, sometimes like they can already know, okay, you know, I, I think Aaron would do this. He'd combine, you know, the squat and deadlift day and the bench day into SPD day because that's where he's done in the past. And then, I, and then they can let me know. I'm like, okay, that's fine that you have to do that on a condensed week. And so they can, you know, make those adjustments. And then also, you know, talking about training or game planning for big meets, like Jason said, it becomes more of a collaborative relationship. It's not like 
you telling the athlete, this is what we're going to do. You've never been here before. I have the experience. Like I know you versus like, Hey, this is what I think. And then the athletes like, this is what I think. And then like having a discussion saying, okay, you know, how likely do you think it is for, you know, for Taylor Everett? Oh, if they hit, you know, a 300 kilo squat or like that, or how likely is it for you to hit a 305 kilo squat? Do you think in your mind and, you know, go off like maybe more the percentages of what it is to hit each, hit each attempt, whether it's the top third attempt, the middle or the bottom and what the other competitors are doing and coming with the plan where, you know, maybe you can give some leeway to the athlete. If it's there that day, you give it to them, especially if they ask for it. So I've had this discussion with some other coaches and on like different podcasts, like, you know, sometimes I'll ask a lifter, like, you know, after the second attempt, they come off, like, do you want a hundred kilos or 97 and a half kilos? And they're like, uh, and they're like waffling back and forth. Okay. 97 and a half kilos. But if they come off and I say, Hey, you want a hundred and ninety seven and a half? They're like, give me a hundred. I got it. Like, okay. You know, it was, it was in our estimations, like, you know, the second attempt moved well, they're feeling good. They're feeling confident. They know they're capable of a hundred. You, you give them that leeway. Versus if they're, if they're unsure, if like they don't even know if they can hit it, then you probably shouldn't give it to them. So there's little things like that that you learn. And sometimes on the other side, the athlete gives more to me the longer we go. So I've had some lifters that like they just do their lift and they walk off and they go in the warm room and they sit down. At that point, they're like, you know, Arian knows me. He knows what he's going to put in. Like I don't have to have a conversation with them unless something's really off. If like they're in pain, like, hey, my back hurts, something like that, they might say it. But it, if they feel good, they just kind of walk off and, and let me choose. So sometimes they end up giving you more as a relationship develops more and more, which is kind of what I've done too as an athlete. Like when I've competed, like I did one North American championship where I was like a assistant coach for the team and then I competed. And so I had one of the other coaches handle me and I kind of just like, you know, walked off and bench, like whatever you put in is fine. Like, you know, I trust you and stuff like that. So the, the relationship can be beneficial that way long-term. Yeah, there's sort of when you were chatting there, it's, it's kind of we usually we've spoken in the spoken in the past about uh, beginner, intermediate, and advanced lifters. Obviously, if you're going to compete at worlds, you know you're going to be at, you're going to be at a certain level. But from as as you were both speaking there, it's kind of there's levels within those world championships. People who have gone there for the very first time, people who have had a little bit more experience and are wanting to climb up those rankings a little bit. And I don't think it's the, it's the end of the world if it's somebody new, maybe somebody who's just come from the juniors and then going into the open. It's kind of, you know, a different a different ball game. It's kind of a different animal from the, from the juniors be, being in the open and being like, right, this is the plan. This is how we're going to do it. Whereas for somebody who you've worked with for quite a long time, maybe you've had that experience, Going right back to the very first question that I asked about about mistakes, you know, they might not have got the right hotel, they might not have, you know, uh, got the got the right food and, and made mistakes from there. Who have been around um, the the scene for a little bit longer, and then being able to being able to work to work from there. Um, so it's not a case of ah no, if you're at Worlds, you've got it all together, you know exactly what you're doing, and it's you know it's plain sailing. You just go out there and lift. I think from everything that we've we've spoken about there, you know, there's a lot more a lot more to it from the athlete's point of view in terms of planning and making sure that they've got accommodation and all those other things. But also, the main bulk of the chat has obviously been their level of professionalism and the amount of work from the coaches end that goes on be, behind the scenes. So, kind of the, the last question that I like to I like to ask from everything that we've we've chatted about there, what would be your take home points or words of wisdom for either athletes looking at coaches who are who, who are progressing, um, you know, and, and and setting the standard, but then also on the flip side of that, from coaches who you know, um, get into that level of professionalism. 
Um, I think for me, you got to look at their performance as a coach and then decide what they need, like from a, a physiological uh, standpoint, and, and you've got to train that. So to, to train to physiological objectives uh, is, is really important. I, I think a lot of people get lost in the noise of just doing top sets all the time because that's what everyone does. But, you know, the, the reason why you would do top sets are to improve neuromuscular efficiency and, and confidence under load. And, and you don't need to do that 52 weeks out of the year to do that, you know, like got like two weeks before a meet doing 10 to 15 singles uh, for, you know, your opener and second attempt on each lift that'll that'll improve your neuromuscular efficiency just fine too right like there's there's other things in lifting that could be limiting you such as uh your ability to perform and and recover uh from training uh, which is to speak about work capacity or or maybe you're undersized for your class and and you need to increase your cross-sectional area you need to build muscle because um, when you build muscle, you have more contractile proteins pulling in the same direction. Um, there's a hypothesis out there that I, I agree with. I, I think it's pretty logical that you have more muscle. Uh, you have more of a capacity to uh, improve your strength in the future, right? It's, it's not to say that like you should train like a bodybuilder, but probably a bigger competitor with a bigger engine is more likely to outperform a smaller competitor with a smaller engine, right? So uh, I think there's that. Um, I think I, I've seen this a few times now. They're, they're tricky consultations. Uh, again, um, no one's perfect. No one wins them all. I, I've been humbled by that as time goes on, but get these high level competitors uh, who don't have a shred of, of work capacity, you know, and you get stuck and it's like, well, now what do you do? You know, like you've, you've written this intensity heavy model of training uh, as far as you can possibly go. And it's not working for you anymore. Oh my God. You know, like what, what can you do with your training now? Like do even more intensity can you handle that? Can you recover from it? Or, you know, do we got to start doing volume? It's like, well, can you handle that? Can you recover from that? It's kind of like this, this dead end that I, I feel like with uh, some of our competitors who we've trained for a long time, uh, we've been able to avoid because our, our system is, is based on systematic progressions over time. Uh, and so they, they kind of build conditioning and, and tolerance and the ability to, to perform and benefit from training as time goes on, you know? Um, and so we, we tend not to hit that, like that dead end of like, wow, you know, I, I can't progress with my training the way that it was. I got to a high level, but I don't know what to do now. And that's a really tricky point to reach. Um, so I, I think improving improving what you need and, and analyzing performance in terms of like key performance indicators, tying that to physiology is important. Um, lift to the rule book, um, listen to your coach, um, 
those are those are my main ones i i think not that that's going to change the world or anything you know we have so many stubborn people in the world that it doesn't make a, an ounce of a difference but i i feel like if uh, people listen to those who are experienced uh the standard of performance would be a lot better than it is yeah i guess i guess you know jason covered a lot of the uh programming aspect i mean similar stuff when it comes to the actual game day like if you're a coach trying to improve yourself as far as game day coaching I understand it's a little bit different than programming some people are good at one and not good at the other some people are good at both and so if you're not good at the game day coaching it's like you know going and learning whether it's some kind of class you can take like the usapl coaching course the ipf coaching course um or like you know communicating with different coaches and learning the attempt selection process and warm-up process and how a competition flows from there it's like knowing the rules in in and out as far as like you know the breaks whether it's one flight or two flights knowing the fraction cars knowing how to change openers third attempts lot numbers body weights chipping records all that kind of stuff um and then also as a coach being professional there so like you know working with other coaches and other athletes in the warm-up room having your lifter prepared you know two or three lifters out ready to go so when they say bars loaded for your lifter they're there or they already have their wrist wraps wrapped their belt ready to go everything like that and you know also being dressed appropriately following the rules and you know whether the calls go your way or not whether you get a lucky call or unlucky call like you know understanding that you know people do make mistakes I, me as a referee has made a mistake it's okay to like you know be angry or mad about the moment but also like having some kind of limit at a certain point you're if you do something or say something it's going to be too much for a professional sport whether it's nhl or nba or, or the ipf and that the referees or the jury will do something to correct you and so you don't want to be known as a person you know got kicked out of the world championship or suspended because you know you're berating the referees or like cursing at them or whatever so there's some professionalism to that and that same thing every period in an nhl game marion <laughs> maybe nhl's got a little bit more anyway they, they, they put you in the they put you in the timeout box if you're a bad lifter or a bad athlete and, and same thing from from the athlete perspective if you're an athlete and you're trying to get better at meets then obviously doing more meets, getting more experience is going to help. And then learning more, whether you're working with a coach or by yourself, like in learning to do things to the standard, learning the speed of a competition, trying to match that in training. Don't take 20 minute breaks in training. And then you go to a competition, there's a flight of like seven or eight lifters and you're like, holy crap, this is fast. <laughs> um, and again, same thing with the, like the referees. A lot of lifters want to like, you know, yell at the referees or, you know, you know, go get in their face or something like that at like nationals. I guess that happened with one lifter. And it's like, you got to hold yourself to a certain standard and, and take responsibility for your own actions. If you, you know, were doing fast presses in the gym on your bench press, and then you go to a meet and they hold you and they give you a long press command, you can't then get mad at the referees and be like, hey, what, what the hell are you doing? Why are you giving me those long press commands? It's you that didn't hold yourself to the standard, and then you're expecting to get like the leeway in the competition. Um, so that kind of covers as far as like developing yourself on both sides. And then as a lifter, also picking a coach for like meet day handling, like maybe your coach can't come. If you're going to pick a specific meet, meet day handler, maybe see if your coach knows someone. If they don't know, then it's on you to like research. Yeah, who have they coached? At what level? Do they often make attempts? Do they often miss attempts? Do they know the rules? Are they going to put effort into researching your competitors and your training beforehand? Or are they just going to show up on the day and be like, okay, what are we doing? Um, there was, that, I believe, at Nationals, like some coaches 
that you know maybe weren't there or maybe something happened and they couldn't be there for a specific session and maybe their athlete didn't have a game plan because their coach was going to come with it or maybe they had their attempts but they didn't have their warm-up because their coach like knows their warm-ups in their head or sometimes even like you know they only have their openers like yeah you know my coach said that, you know based on openers we'll figure out the second and third and it's like you're trying to help out this lifter but like you have no idea what they've done in training what they've done in a previous meet you know what their game plan was because their game plan was just like openers they have no warm-ups like that so if you're going to select the meet day handler, you want to try and look into those things, maybe have a call with uh, the uh, coach and see whether it's a good fit and whether it would be beneficial to you to use them at a high level competition. Yeah. You both mentioned it uh, a couple of times there, the, the standard from a, from a lifter or a, or a coach's point of view. And I know from my point of view, getting an insight into how, how you guys work, um, there is that standard to, to, to aim towards and, and, and set which, for everything that we've we've covered through there, you know the the amount of detail, the amount of effort, and again, you know I've used that word quite a lot, professionalism, um, in terms of how you're coaching, and as well, pride in 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 your work in in in, ter- in terms of what you do to be able to, you know, I know we've spoken about world titles, national titles, but even just getting lifters to go nine for nine or get a PB or build or build the total and and and, and progress, so. Yeah, thanks a lot for both of you taking the time to, to to jump on. I feel like, yeah, a lot of times there could be a lot more tangents and other questions I can I can I can throw out from there, learn, learning from you both. But for everyone listening who might have any questions about what we've chatted about today, whether they're athletes or, or coaches, want to have a look at the content that you put out there, or even you know get involved in some in some coaching or you know uh, you know advice uh, from you guys. Where can people where can people find you or reach out to you? Yeah, you can get in touch with uh, any member of our group by uh, sending a DM to at strengthguys or on Instagram, or you can just go to thestrengthguys.com and uh, click the contact us box and, and write to us. Um, that's easiest. I, I barely post. So if you want to follow me, it's at Jason TSG. But again, I I make posts like less than four times per year. So don't have high expectations. when <laughs> I post a little bit more than that, but it's definitely been frequency has been going down as I've been getting more and more clients through TSG, because obviously, you know, the priority is my coaching. And then when I have some free time, okay, let me post something on Instagram, but yeah, the, the company stuff is the easiest, the strength guys.com or uh, the strength guys at, you know, on, on Instagram, my Instagram is coach Arian K I respond to my DMS. If you want to make message there, ask any questions um, or, you know, get more information as far as like, you know, I have a YouTube channel. If you ask, I'll send you over links to like different videos I have on YouTube. If it wants to, if people want help, like basic attempt selection or how a competition goes, rules of performance, programming, all that kind of stuff on there. Or if they have any specific questions, uh, let me know. Awesome. For everyone listening, if you haven't gone back and look, listen to the episodes, the strength guys as a company, I've had numerous episodes with everyone of, of, of the team and they're, they're, a, they're a, a, a company that, yeah, exactly like what we've said, they, they set the standard and the content that they put out there, you know, is only uh, beneficial for powerlifting, whether you're an athlete or, or, or a coach. So 100%, go check out the stuff that these these guys are doing, especially, you know, within the sport of, of, of powerlifting, you're going to get some really, really good value from there. So Arian, Jason, Thanks a lot for taking the time to jump on. Thanks a lot to everyone listening, and I will see you all next week.